think most people probably don't really realize. You think of hunting and think of tree stand hunting, but when you really get out there and take the brakes off and really go, it's a crazy place because you're in areas with no cell service. You don't have easy access to get rescued if you make a mistake and mistakes happen. The real story starts when I went through an unexpected divorce. Like most people, there's a catalytic event and that little ember that I had for learning to hunt kind of just went full flame. And I said, I don't have kids. I have this opportunity in my 30s now to go do whatever I want to do. And I said, where do I want to go? And I just said, Idaho. Kind of sight unseen and pointed my car north and ended up in Boise for a little bit until I found some property in the most rural community in lower 48, which is Atlanta, Idaho, which is where I now call home. Coming from the world of like AI and Silicon Valley bros and then diving into the business side of the hunting industry, it's refreshing. Like they're just people with good morals, people who want to work hard, blue collar mentality. And for me, like that has just been the most refreshing and enlivening part of not just saying I want to be a backcountry hunter, trapper, etc., but to be involved on the business side and say, hey, can you actually make a lifestyle out of this? And seeing these people who are doing it successfully, but also being able to just maintain their integrity and morals along the way uh, is awesome. If you want to learn something, and you don't have immediate access to a mentor or a family member who does it, like you can go get a book and read. That's why, that's where my love of books came from. Everything else is just his push to say, if you want to learn something, read a book. So every mm -hmm. time I do something, like if I wanted to learn about fire starting, I go to a book or I guess in our modern time, YouTube or somewhere where you can get that education. And the catch 22 here is you hear people say, well, I wish I knew that. It's today, you know, when you have a supercomputer in your pocket, almost at all times like it's there's no excuses left anymore hey guys i want to start off by thanking you for keeping me on the air since 2004 i'm trying to keep everything fresh and keep bringing you content that is both enjoyable and informational so if you could help me out by hitting me up on instagram or facebook and giving me some suggestions for guests topics and questions i'd really appreciate it also You've heard me say this, but please, 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 please take a few moments to give me a review on iTunes. It's so important to keeping me on the air. So if you want this podcast to stick around, please get on there and drop me a line. Lastly, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Been title sponsor of the show for a long time. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20% on everything they offer. All right, let's get into this next episode. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today, we are going to be talking to Zachary Hansen or Zach Hansen and um, talk a little bit about his book and also more so his, his journey into going from one extreme to another basically. So, uh, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Hey, thanks for having me on and B I'm doing very well. Um, I'm gearing up for trapping season, which is kind of my big push every year now. So everything's going well on my end. How about yourself? I can't complain. Well, I can, but nobody's going to listen to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's got, I got a lot of stuff going on. So my year is not typical. My hunting, experiences aren't the same right now. I'm very distracted. 
got a lot of things going on. Nothing bad, just a lot going on. So <laughs> it's been a little tough going on the hunting side for me because I just I've had to cancel hunts, and when I'm on hunts, I can't focus. But uh, yeah, hopefully that'll kind of change here as I get into some of the later stuff. Yeah, do you at least have some good uh, late season tags to help balance out early season upsets? Just my my usual. I'm, I'm, my next trip here is the beginning of November. I'll be in South Dakota. I guide there and I, and I hunt there for myself. I'm usually there for about 12 days and I'll, I'll hunt five days for myself and guide the rest. And then, uh, yeah, just you know, late season archery here in Arizona. Really don't have much else, to be honest with you. It's kind of a... I didn't draw a lot of tags this year. Things are just a little slow uh, in that in that department, but I'm just going to make the best of what I got left for me, and uh, hopefully, looks like I just got my card just got hit from Arizona Game and Fish for the spring hunt. So it looks like I uh, I may have drawn a few tags in the spring. Awesome. So it means I probably got a javelina tag. Maybe a bear tag, maybe maybe a turkey tag. So, hopefully, we'll start off next year, the twenty twenty four season with the with the bang. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it's something in the water, but yeah. Similarly, I've had pretty uh, sour luck on early hunts this year for a number of different reasons. Not all bad reasons either, but I'm also kind of targeting my late season hunts and trapping to kind of make up for it. And hopefully, in the early next year or two will be a good one for me with drawing stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, you know, we always got to look forward to the next thing. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that they turn out and doesn't. We, we don't, I don't I don't get into a rut. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, when I uh, when the mindset is there and I start feeling down, I start making everything else go down <laughs> because yeah because of it. So yeah, I just you've got to make sure you look forward and and. Uh, and know that uh, the next one's not not the same. So anyway. Yeah, at least with me in my position, being a relatively new hunter and relatively new trapper in the last you know five or six years, I, it's very easy for me to, to get down. So I've done a pretty good job of being able to separate those two things, I think, and uh, realize that either having a bonked hunt or that is just part of the learning process for me right now. So I, I usually don't get too down on myself when something doesn't go my way because most of the time it doesn't go my way. Yeah. And, and that's typical for everybody, to be honest with you. Like I, I think, and I, I ex- experienced this a lot with the late onset hunters like yourself, you probably got introduced to it by somebody who was pretty experienced. And I mean, like I see this with my kids Normally, this doesn't necessarily happen, but I think my kids are like almost spoiled because mm-hmm. one, you know, I'm an accomplished hunter and two, I'm a guide. So like they're getting a different level of what it is to hunt from the beginning mm-hmm. and they get used to that. And then when they don't have success, they and they expect it, you know, they expect success. Like my, my son, for instance, like just fishing. Okay. Let's take fishing, for example. I take them to go, you know, uh, fishing for bluegill in a, a by a local pond, and I mean, I can hardly keep bait on the damn hook. There's so many of them <laughs> in there, and they're just he's just catching fish left and right. And then we go like real fishing, and you go, <laughs> you know, hours, and you haven't caught a single thing, 
and he's like, oh, this sucks, you know, because <laughs> he's, <not, laughs> he's not used to it. And uh, yeah, so I think for you, probably more so than anything, it's about, you know, having these failures now. And then when you have the successes on you, you're, you're going to realize how much better they are. I don't know. Maybe I'm talk, yeah, talking no, out of my yeah. ass over here, but. No, no, you're not. You're actually hitting the nail on the head. I mean, for me, I, you know, my arc and my journey into the hunting was similar to what you just said. It's, you know, my first teacher was YouTube because I did not grow up in a hunting family. I didn't have mm. close relatives who were hunters. So this was kind of a, a journey of like, I, I'd always been into athletics, combat sports, wrestling, jujitsu. My ex-wife was a world champion in jujitsu. So we were always optimizing to find you know, better ways of living. So it kind of started from the whole food aspect, like how can we get food? And so my first teacher was YouTube, but then it quickly went to my in-laws. So my wife's ex-wife's family at the time, middle Tennessee, whitetail hunters since they were born. Mm. Um, and then I got that first taste and where I took my first deer with a bow was exactly in middle Tennessee where I did have coaching, where I did have education and success and then came out West and, realize it's a whole different ball game and had to go back through that process of YouTube and then finding mentors, finding people going with some guides. And, you know, like you said, it's a cyclical kind of thing, but it is a little bit of spoiledness to a certain degree where I've been fortunate as an adult to have the means and the mindset to go and find people who know what they're doing and willing to teach, which has been pretty awesome, but the failures come along with it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Turning Feral. Let's talk about your book. Where? Yeah. Did, I mean, I'm starting to get an idea now where that started to come from, but let's 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 hear the whole journey. Yeah, yeah. I'll do the thirty thousand foot flyover. I mean, the the title says it pretty well. You know, I grew up in the southeast with you know hunting always on the periphery. I always had friends who hunted. I had uh, removed relatives who hunted, but for whatever reason, it just never grabbed me as a kid and I think part of that is my dad did it my granddad did it mm -hmm. but you know as I grew up I traveled the world so I went to I, I followed the normal path that I was told I was supposed to take right it was you know go to school get a degree get a job things will fall into place and to a certain degree they did um, you know I did school. I ended up working for the government. I had the opportunity to work overseas and lived in Russia, Kyrgyzstan, the Republic of Georgia, Austria, Saudi Arabia, all over. It was great. But I came back stateside and got a job just in a normal career field. So I was in the technology space and somehow lucked out to get into AI. So I'm, you know, by trade, an artificial intelligence expert. And my ex-wife was an FBI special agent, so we just always traveled around the U.S. in different locations and, you know, focused on sports and everything else. She and I didn't have any kids. And eventually what happened is, like I mentioned, I got interested in where my food came from, kind of went down this path of learning to bow hunt, kind of on my own, with a little help from the in-laws. And then the real story starts when I went through an unexpected divorce. Um, like most people, there's a catalytic event and that little ember that I had for learning to hunt kind of just went full flame. And I said, I don't have kids. Mm -hmm. I have this opportunity in my thirties now to go do whatever I want to do. 
And I said, where do I want to go? And I just said, Idaho, kind of sight unseen and pointed my car north and uh, ended up in Boise for a little bit until I found some property in the most rural community in the lower 48, which is Atlanta, Idaho, which is where I now call home and I'm remarried with two small kids and another on the way and kind of living as much as we can, the trapper hunter lifestyle. Yeah. That's awesome, man. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. so many people, you know, they, they choose a path and they realize that it's not the right one and they just, you know, they get st stuck in it for whatever reason or think they're stuck in it and they keep with it. It's awesome that you, you know, you recognize that something else was, was calling to you and was able to switch gears and do something different. Yeah. And I recognize not everybody has that opportunity too. you know, I, I, you know, I look back now that I have kids and think, man, could I have made that same decision with kids in the mix? And the idealistic part of me says, yeah, of course I could. This is what I was meant to do, blah, blah, blah. But you never know. But it was a very, it was fortuitous just given the timing and the ability to go do it. But it's, it's been a steep learning curves all around, you know, not even just from the hunting and trapping, but just you know, learning to live more rurally, using wood burning stoves, having to you know, source water, get generators. You know, it's just been nonstop trial by fire. Yeah, sounds like it, man. Um, yeah, I was kind of like reading the forward. I don't know if it was a forward or whatever of that of your book, um, mm -hmm. and I came across something that I don't know was just kind of sparked an interest in my head uh that you run you ran i don't know if you still do ultra marathons mm -hmm. i feel like that mindset puts you uh uniquely qualified to be successful in the hunting world because you need that mental and physical grit you know to be successful that but is that something you still do or no is the answer not races at least is i I signed up for a hundred miler this last year and ended up bailing on it. So I, I was, it was going to be my year to get back into it and it didn't work out. So I, I'm a wuss from that perspective, I guess, but yeah, I would I, never I, even consider running over five miles. So don't, don't, don't even, <laughs> don't think of yourself as a wuss in any shape or form. Uh, well, you know, it, it's funny you say that. Like, I think the idea of grit and resilience, like I was again, fortunate where I was a wrestler in high school and part of college. And then I've done jujitsu since I was 15 years old. I've always been a part of that kind of combat sports scene. Mm -hmm. um, always been at high level gyms and just constantly grinding. You know, I've got big old ugly cauliflower ears and everything like that that goes along with it. And I think that mindset's what got me into ultra running. And the irony is, and I talk a little bit about it in the book is I didn't realize it, but between the wrestling, the running, when I was living that kind of white picket fence, suburban lifestyle, it was all my own, maybe innate, maybe artificial need to create actions that might carry consequences. Mm -hmm. But ultimately running a hundred miles, is not that consequential. Cause if you get hurt or you do anything, you can stop and get pulled off the course. Mm -hmm. If you're in jujitsu, you get stuck in a bad spot. You can tap out. I think what I was seeking all along was like real consequence for action. And, uh, ironically, and it does translate well, like you said, backcountry hunting mm -hmm. 
trapping or even kind of living a more off-grid lifestyle, especially with kids, come to find out actually carries genuine consequences. Oh, yeah. Um, Every decision you make has, has definitely has, you know, I mean, everything has action reaction, but like you said, has consequence, there's a consequence to it, you know? Yes. And that was eye opening because, you know, there's, there's stories, some that aren't in the book, but you know, where my wife and I have had to call life flight helicopter because of where we're at, or, you know, recently we talked at the very beginning uh, of the podcast, just about hunts going bad. Uh, this fall, this September, when I was doing my archery elk, I was out in the white cloud wilderness in Idaho Mm -hmm. and I was going to go with a buddy. That buddy flipped a skid steer the night before we were supposed to go out and broke his collarbone. So yeah. And I don't even know how you flip a skid steer. He's a, he's a wild man, but he, uh, he was out. So I was like, well, I'm just going to go by myself. So, you know, I packed up camp and hiked super far in several hours got set up at 9,000 feet. I hiked from about 6,000 to 9,000 over those several miles, got in, set up camp. And I messaged my wife on our garment to say, Hey, I made it. And I said, how are you? And of course she goes, both kids are sick with a stomach virus. And I was like, Oh no, because mm. the whole hike in my stomach was bubbling. Oh, Jesus. And for the next 48 hours on that hillside, I was coming out of both ends you know, having to drop a thousand feet to the creek to get water every few hours. And, you know, there were a few times out there I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to have to like ask my wife to, you know, call search and rescue or something because I was so weak and just dehydrated. But, you know, again, consequences for action. And those are the things that I was seeking and I didn't know I was seeking uh, until I got out there. And I think most people probably don't really realize you you think of hunting and think of tree stand hunting, but when you really get out there and you know, take the brakes off and really go, it's a mm-hmm. crazy place because you're in areas with no cell service. You don't have easy access to get rescued if you make a mistake and mistakes happen. Absolutely. Everything's amplified, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, a simple thing like having diarrhea or whatever, you know, yeah. can totally change, you know, you're not, you're not 15 minutes away for a drive away from the hospital. You know, you don't have the comforts of home. You don't have good steady water sources, you know, all these things, you know, and then it's just, it could go from something good to bad very quickly. And, yep. um, yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been faced. And I, I'm not a backcountry. I don't consider myself a backcountry hunter. I hunt in the backcountry, but I usually don't live out in the backcountry. I, I'm the guy that hikes in and hikes out every day, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, you know, I'll do, I'll do 10, 12 miles, you know, average seven miles, whatever a day. And, you know, I'll I'll get back to civilization somehow or some sort of civilization, like either a truck camp or something a little bit more luxurious than bivying out in the middle of nowhere. But even that, you know. I've heard people say a lot of times, oh my God, you know, they compl- you're complaining about something like, but you, and you're like, oh, I don't know how I would be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And then you think about it and you're like, cause if you don't do that, you're going to die. Like you're going to be out yes. there and you're going to die. And like, so hiking back, you know, seven miles in the dark 
when when your knee's hurting or your foot's bad or whatever the case may be, you got a rolled ankle, you find a way to do it because you know if you don't, you, you, you know the chances of you surviving the situation is going to be bad. And yeah, you know, you, yeah, God, it's like you got to bet on yourself, right? There's no one coming to rescue you mm-hmm. in most cases. Like maybe there are, like yeah, in you reality. Know. But it's going to be hours, you know, you got to self arrest a little bit and do your best. And that, that mindset's awesome because it's funny you say that. And again, going back to what I didn't realize is when I would do like long races or ultra marathons, mm-hmm. um, I would always envision that somebody I loved was in danger, like at the finish line. Okay. And so motivation it, to get there. Got it. Right. Exactly. And the same thing, like you mentioned, it's, you know, in the backcountry, you don't have to envision that. Like, it's the same thing. Like, if you don't hike out, if your foot's hurting, your knee's hurting, you tweak something, you just had diarrhea for 48 hours and you're dehydrated, like, Mm -hmm. you don't get to that finish line, then you're not going to go see your your wife. You're not going to see your kids. You just got to do it. And that grit that you can build through other things is great, but there's not a lot of experiences that I've been able to encounter in the world that are so consequential and so meaningful as, you know, going out and doing outdoor activities, whether it's hunting or not, but something that kind of puts you out there a little bit. Yeah. You know, there's something, there's a, there's a comfort, I think maybe is the right word that comes to knowing that you're capable, that Mm -hmm. you've tested yourself at something and that you're capable now this is, it's a hunting, hunting related, but it wasn't exactly a hunting incident. Uh, just, just happened recently. We were, you know, far away from civilization, but we were on a road and we were in the truck and my buddy's truck through the U joint on the drive Oof. shaft while we were driving. And Potentially, we can go hours and hours without somebody driving by, maybe maybe in a day or so. And we were able to get out, and what limited tools he had was able to get it so that we can drive back to camp with what we had. And, you know, we, I was having this conversation with, with, with my buddy Charles, and I'm like, doesn't it feel kind of good? that we were capable, that Mm -hmm. we weren't that guy or that person that was stranded on the side of the road and we needed somebody to come save us. Like, did did it feel good that we can rig this up to save ourselves, you know? And more so, uh, we were able to get the other truck and go into town, get the parts, come back and and, and fix that truck so that it was usable for the rest of the trip. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that, that sense that you're, you have what it takes to get whatever it is that you need done. I don't know. For me, it's like this, it's comforting. It's like, that's the best way I could just describe it. There's, there's like a certain sense of comfort to that as well as a, a sense of an achievement, but, and it, and it, simple, simple thing just with the truck breaking down. But it, I feel like those things happen constantly when you're out there, you know? Yeah. I mean that I I couldn't agree with you more. And and for me, somebody coming 
you know, I did tough things my whole life, but I didn't live tough. And coming from someone with, you know, only calluses on my hands from like a barbell or holding on to a jujitsu gi, like I was never extremely mechanical. I wasn't somebody, I was the guy who, if my toilet broke, I'd just call a plumber. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's where a lot of our society is right now. But to that end, I began over the past five or six years to build confidence because whether it's backcountry hunting, trapping, or even just living in the place we do where there's only 35 people, there's no grocery store, there's no gas station, there's no Walmart. It's a four hour drive down an often landslid or snow slid in road mm-hmm. is the same thing. I've now found myself in so many situations like yours, like either on the road with something breaking down or, you know, the toilet breaking up there is like, okay, well it's on me now. Right. And there's a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of YouTube involved. Uh, but I built up some resilience in that aspect of my life now where I do have some more confidence, which is a bit of a superpower in all areas of your life because you're like, Oh, I can figure it out. Right. I have the ability to, and I think, most people, I don't want to say are lazy, but I think especially my generation, I'm a millennial by, I guess, how I fit in the age bracket, born in the 80s and, you know, in my mid 30s now. And mm-hmm. most of my friend group from growing up are not as handy. You know, they can't do that fixing. They, they would be the person stranded on the side of the road. And there's a bit of pride, especially on my side of trying to figure those things out to where I don't ever fit into that category. I can be the person who self assists out and doesn't have to rely on other people as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know what, like in my day to day, I'll tell you, like, I'll, I'll be the guy that calls the, the plumber. Like I'll, mm-hmm. I'll do that. Even though I know that I could do it myself and I've done it myself. Um, my wife makes fun of me all the time. She's like, you know how to do that. Why don't you do it? I'm like, uh, you know, it's, it's like a time thing, you know? Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to waste my time doing that. I could pay somebody to do that. And the hundred dollars that I'm paying him, I can make $150 in that same time doing this. Yep. So like, there's a reason there was a rhyme to my reason, but it's the sense that you, that you you can do it. Like my dad, you know, taught me to you know tune up the car or, or do the brakes and do this and you know i'm keep using a car as an example but because it's just an easy thing to for people to you know rationalize or or visualize rather that kind of stuff it's just the same thing as like being able to build a fire you know i had a, a in idaho matter of fact a couple of years ago we were out elk hunting and it went from kind of crappy weather to shit ass you know, <laughs> sideways snow and white out. And we were far and we were back there. And, um, you know, we could have been like, all right, well, let's, let's hike out, you know, before we freeze to death or we can find a spot to get out of this, you know, start a fire and, you know, get ready you know, ride it out basically until it lets up. We still got the whole day ahead of us and we end up doing that. But I went, I had, I always carry two or three different, usually three different forms of fire starting. Mm-hmm. There's a couple things that I carry multiples of in that fire starting knives and lamps or headlights. Mm-hmm. And both my 
what do you call it? Both my lighters that I had didn't work. One was one of those plasma deals where, you know, it's uh, like an electronic. Mm-hmm. It was fully charged, but it wasn't working. Uh, and then I had a high altitude lighter and it wouldn't ignite. And I'm like, what the heck's going <laughs> on here? You know, I'm like, I have to rub two sticks together. What am I? But <laughs> I, I always carry, I always, my, my third is always a, you know, a flint, flint style. And, um, I was able to finally get a fire started, but not after a crap ton of effort. And in, you know, a, a, not a sense of panic, but a sense of, yeah, maybe panic was, was might be a good way to describe it. But at some point I was like, I'm not going to be able to get this fire started. And mm-hmm. again, in that particular situation, I don't know if the consequence was because we were still, you know, I was like a five mile hike back to, where we needed to be so i wasn't feeling like hey i'm gonna die but i'm gonna have this day is gonna die i'm not gonna be mm-hmm. able to hunt the rest of this day and make this day you know as fulfilling as it possibly can if i don't get this fire started you know it's just, and you're gonna be extremely extremely uncomfortable during that time period right exactly exactly well l- luckily i was able to get it started and eventually the whiteout went away and it was just you know light flurrying and, and cold, but you know, doable. And that afternoon ended up being great. We got into bulls and, you know, almost made it happen. And, uh, it, it was a good hunt, but it, it could have not been, you know, it's those things to me that are, again, I'm going to say comforting the, the lifestyle choices that we've made and we've adapted and challenged ourselves and, and, um, become, you know, the, that person. Yeah, that's cap- and that just, that's capable. Yeah, that concept of just never stopping to learn. That's one thing, you know, even though my granddad didn't hunt, like he instilled in me, if you want to learn something and you don't have immediate access to a mentor or a family member who does it, like you can go get a book and read. That's why that's where my love of books came from. Everything else is just his push to say, if you want to learn something, read a book. So every mm-hmm. time I do something, like if I wanted to learn about fire starting i go to a book or i guess in our modern time youtube or somewhere where you can get that education and yeah you know, the catch 22 here is you hear people say well i wish i knew that it's today you know when you have a supercomputer in your pocket mm-hmm. almost at all times like it's there's no excuses left anymore like if you really want to learn something you can go and learn it and that's kind of what sparked my journey is i knew i had no excuses you know, it would be painful a lot of the time, but it was just go and do it, figure it out. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about the book and kind of give us a, uh, I don't know. Yeah. You know, you know, the book's interesting. You know, it's, it's almost been out for a year now. It's hit the bestseller list on Amazon a few different times in the hunting category, which has been pretty cool to see, but you know, the arc of the book is just really that lead up story that I talked about, you know, the unexpected divorce, what it meant for me to go to rural Idaho. A lot of the stories about, if you mentioned fire, growing up in the way I grew up, I never really needed to start a fire. So when I got my cabin and I had a wood burning stove, you know, one of the anecdotes in there is I was freezing because it was like negative 15 degrees outside every night and I couldn't keep a fire alive. 
but I was such a moron. Like I didn't realize like the flu was shut. So the fire wasn't getting oxygen. Just like basic dumb stuff like that, that you kind of, if you've been doing it for a long time, you take for granted, but learned along the way. And then, you know, it's broken up into two parts. One's like my archery journey of, you know, starting with deer or pigs, deer, moving on to antelope, elk, and other bear, other critters out here. And then my trapping journey, which is really kind of stolen my heart, if you will, which is, you know, the wolf trapping, the beaver trapping, otter trapping, all the things that I really love to spend time on in the winter. And then the community aspect is what it closes with is, um, you know, I, I kind of came up here to Idaho with a calloused heart, I guess, after a divorce. Mm-hmm. And I thought, again, this goes back to the untamed wilderness, just whooping your ass, is I was going to be a mountain man. I was going to be like Jeremiah Johnson. I'm going to go live alone in a cabin. And all those experiences, the fire included, is I didn't realize I needed a community. And what I found up here in the small community with old time trappers, everything else was that you really do need a community. And that's kind of what built me up and brought me back from the brink, if you will, and allowed me to kind of blossom and, you know, find the adventurous wife who wants to be out there and start a family with, but yeah, that's the arc of the book. But in the past really several weeks, looking through reviews on Amazon, everything else is, the reviews have been positive, but a lot of people have said like, this is definitely not a how-to manual. It's more of like a, I guess you call it a memoir, just my story, hoping to influence other people who might be stuck in the rat race like I was to explore outside of it. But I'm starting to kind of think about how people can start introducing little skill sets along the way to do two things. One, what we talked about, build resilience, whether that's focusing on fitness or, you know, doing short trips and how you can start to build a little bit more of a sustainability focused lifestyle without having to go both feet in the fire like I did, you know, whether that's learning to start a garden in a suburban area or picking up hunting or learning to shoot a handgun or all those little things we talked about on, you know, how can you build that confidence Mm -hmm. to not be that person who's ever stuck and reliant on other people. So that's kind of the journey in, in as short a form as I can make it and what the book's about. You got you got to make a freaking audio version of it, man. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I, I've definitely gotten that feedback too. But and you got a good voice, so you could you could do your own deal here. So yeah, well, I appreciate that. that. That's been on the feedback list. So I think I just need to stop being lazy and and do it. Uh, yeah, you'd be surprised how many more people will consume it. Like I, well, besides the fact that I don't really have time to sit down and physically read a book. I have this terrible, so like the only time I have to do it is at nighttime. And I would Mm -hmm. normally, you know, when I was younger, I would read right before I go to bed or whatever. I start reading literally one page in, two pages max, and I'm ready to fall asleep. Like it's the the best, uh, you know, sleep aid for me ever, but (laughs) I'll never get through a book. You know, it takes you, just takes me too long to do that. So like now I consume all my books, uh, via audio book and 90% of the time I do that when I'm working out, doing cardio, driving, you know, the same times that you would consume podcasts or whatever. That's what I've been doing. It's been a lot, a lot better for me because I, you know, hell in the last 
two weeks I've gotten through through two books, <laughs> you know, I, I definitely can get through a lot more books that way and I can digest them better. Uh, I just listened to Cam Haynes book and, uh, and then, uh, I listened to a book called scarcity brain. Yeah. Um, with Michael Easter. Yeah. Michael man. Easter. Yeah. Yeah. He's a hunter also. And, um, yeah, I, uh, I listened to both those books and I like in the last two weeks, I would, I would love to, air quotes read your book listen to your book <laughs> so well i was talking so, with michael he was talking about doing all the audio and stuff i i actually got to meet him for the first time so talking about like the uh kind of hunting circle that's the other interesting thing about this journey with the book is just being thrown in feet first into this the, the hunting industry mm-hmm. uh, like i was down at the western hunt expo i had a booth down there this past year and got to meet a lot of great people oh but, i was there oh. Oh, were you? I'll have a booth again this year. So we'll have to meet up in February. Yeah, we'll have a booth this year as well. Um, Hal for Wildlife, I'm co-founder, vice president. Um, So we're going to have have a booth there for Hal for Wildlife this year. I've been going to Hunt Expo for since, I don't even know, since that started probably. I have no clue, but very long time. Yeah, it was an interesting thing because, you know, again, five, years into the hunting that was my first exposure so i started i co-founded a company a software company for outfitters which we can talk about offline yeah maybe. I know no we could talk about it the outfitter dot guide right yeah 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 so we that's uh-huh. what the booth is under and we uh, we started we we've, we've had a little trouble getting out of the gate as most things happen with software but uh hopefully by this february we'll be in a sellable position but nonetheless hunt expo was just especially for someone new was just amazing i you know being someone who's found inspiration from people like Cam Haynes or some of the media crew and getting to walk around and got to go work out with Cam Haynes and hung out with the Mountain Tough Fitness guys. They shared our booth and you know, build these relationships. I, I, I must have, really I must cool. have been right next door to you because I talked to I talked to uh, Weston. Um, oh, well, they they shared our booth. Yeah, so we probably, I was going to say yeah because I was actually in his booth. Uh, uh-huh. I was going to do a podcast with him. Uh, but we didn't end up doing, but I sat there and we talked for a long time because they're uh, one of our partners at Alpha Wildlife. So I must have met you and didn't even realize that I met you. <laughs> yeah, I probably it was like, we were sitting there and hanging out with them. And obviously I built a, a good relationship with Wesson and Dustin. They're great guys. And that's kind of my they've been my fitness gurus to keep me from dying in the backcountry. So they're great guys. And, you know awesome experience just getting to meet everybody and what's shocked me coming from the kind of silicon valley artificial intelligence world mm-hmm. you have a to, book on ai don't you i do okay. yeah and um done that and written a few now historical western fictions which are a lot of fun it's just like violent westerns from the 1800s but you know coming from the world of like ai and Silicon Valley bros and then diving into the business side of the hunting industry. Mm -hmm. It's refreshing. Like they're just people with good morals, people who want to work hard, you know, blue collar mentality. And for me, like that has just been the most refreshing and enlivening part of, you know, not just saying I want to be a backcountry hunter, trapper, et cetera, but to be involved on the business side and say, Hey, can you actually make a lifestyle out of this? 
mm-hmm. and seeing these people who are doing it successfully, but also being able to just maintain their integrity and morals along the way uh, is, is awesome. Yeah. No, f- without a doubt. Like, I mean, there's a there's a lot of money floating around the hunting industry. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things you can make into a business, but all of it, and, and not that outside the hunting industry, it's not similar, but especially in the hunting industry, it requires, again, like the backcountry hunter, it requires a certain amount of dedication and grit because it's not an easy it's not an easy path to carve a life out of. I came from the hunting TV world and like even that, like hunting TV is different than any other TV out there. The business model is completely different. Most TV shows, they have a concept and they pitch that concept to to a network and the network runs with it and they pay the TV show, you know, X amount of money and they pay for that by selling ad space during Mm -hmm. that show. And the hunting TV is you, the producer purchase airtime on a network and you go and sell your ad space to recoup your money that you paid for you know producing the show and and the airtime and whatnot and hopefully something left over for yourself Mm -hmm. you know it's it's like completely backwards and honestly i don't want to die down a rabbit hole because i've talked about this before my podcast but that ultimate that business model ultimately harmed the hunting industry because it created a bunch of snake oil salesmen that Mm -hmm. were doing it at a necessity. So you may have liked product X, but you pushed product Z because product Z was willing to, to pay for you, you know, to pay for your, your sponsorship. And have you seen that change in the recent years or is that still kind of a endemic? No, I don't think it's, I don't think it's changed. I mean, there are a few shows out there that got lucky enough to to get on board with companies that they used already and that they believed in already. Um, but for the most part, I think it's like just get what you can, you know, and 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 then go from there. Otherwise, you don't have a TV show. Um, yeah, I never made money. You know, I was always spend, you know, taking $50,000 and spend, you know, $60,000 every year. But in my head, I always justified it as I was going to spend X amount of money going on these trips anyway. And, and at least the majority of my, my hunting is being paid for. And I have this stuff documented for my kids and my grandkids, should they want to see it. And I could always go back and reference it and look at it. And they're not just memories in my head. But, and the reason why I I never made money is because I always, you know, every once in a while, there was a few times where I didn't, like, for instance, I, uh, 
I represented Chevy for a couple of years. And that was a straw that broke the camel's back because I was like, man, I am pushing Chevy as it's, and I just don't like this truck for, for hunting. I loved it in my contracting business. I loved it. It was a great running vehicle on the road, had all the creature comforts, you know, powerful engine, powerful transmission, did everything I needed for it, all that stuff. But it was literally the worst off-roading vehicle I've ever driven. And, you know, you start feeling like, hey, I'm pushing this thing that is not really what I believe. And, you know, some people are okay with that. Me, I'm not. But as far as my hunting equipment's concerned, I never, whatever I, I believed at that moment in time, whether it was the best or not, it was the best to me. So I suffered financially because of that. Like I could have jumped ship and went from I'm a SU Matthews and I have been since 2001, but I could have jumped ship for way better deals. Yeah. You know, if I wanted to. Yeah. And I don't know how that, that gets solved or if it does, or if it's like, you know, incumbent upon the viewer to, to read between the lines, but people who are coming in new, it's really hard to, decipher between what's snake oil salesman versus the reality and mm -hmm. yeah it is not an easy path yeah not not even just new just you know less experience if you're east coast hunter and you know you've hunted your whole life but you've hunted whitetail out of tree stand and you aspire to go out west and so you start looking to you know joe schmo's out west show and they're pushing this and they're pushing that, you know, you're going to think that that's the best thing. And that's the thing that you need to be successful there. You know, everybody wants to be like Mike. So I'm mm -hmm. going to buy the Michael Jordans. It's, it, it affects, it affects what, you know, but anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> well, see, maybe that's where, uh, maybe that's where artificial intelligence and I can pull in those other threads from my life can help, uh, you know, suss out what's snake oil versus not. Maybe that's a side project I can work on in the next few years. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, they're going to be running the robots are going to be running the world soon enough, right? God, I hope not. I hope not too. That's why I live in the middle of nowhere and I treat every robot really nicely. So it treats me well when they take over. Jesus, man. I, uh, that shit scares the freaking hell out of me. Like, didn't we all watch Terminator, you know, back in the 80s and early 90s? Like, don't we, like the writing's on the wall. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, if it does scare you, I can give you a little bit of peace of mind, you know, just coming from the industry, still being involved to a pretty good degree from the artificial intelligence side of the house. Like, it's interesting seeing chat GPT. It's interesting seeing these large language models and the stuff they do is cool. It's kind of creepy. You know, the marketing algorithms they build where, you know, you mention something or you think of something and the next thing you know, you're getting a targeted ad. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember ever saying that out loud. I was just thinking it. But even with all that creepiness and the, the fear, at the end of the day, all these things are math that's pulling and drawing on human generated data. Mm -hmm. And humans are flawed which means the data is flawed. So until we have a slew of humans who are 
beyond reproach and have the ability to curate amazing data, I think we're going to be safe. And I think we're, even though the advances have been extreme over the past several years, mm-hmm. I think we're pretty far away from the Terminator scenario. So that's kind of my bullet stance at the moment. All right. I can live with that for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's my hope. I'm, watch me be wrong. We'll probably get a... Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it's, in- yeah. I, I'm already just like fear the fact that like, you know, the deep fakes and all that other stuff, like it's, it's already, um, you know, changed things politically for people. Like, yeah. you know, you start watching, watching this and watching that and consuming this information and that information. And let's like, you don't know what's what and you, but you, you start believing in something, whether it's the truth or not. And it's just, I don't know. To me, it's, yeah, it's, it's so muddy. Like it is, it know. is. Yeah. I, I worked at a, as a head of AI for, for a video company called bright Cove, which is one of the larger think Vimeo or these other YouTube mm-hmm. stuff. And, uh, you know, they were, there was a lot of research into the deep fake. There was a lot of research into that area and um, it might not be robust, but like you said, the political implications and muddying the waters so much that it's hard to know what's up and what's down, what's right, what's wrong. Mm-hmm. That is scary. And that's also another reason why I probably now live at the end of a, you know, people say, Hey, you worked in AI, but now you live at the end of an 80 mile dirt road in a town of 35 people with no gas station. I'm like, well, I'm not saying there's a reason for that, but you know, there's, there's also a not, not a reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You see how the sausage is made and you're like, well, it's probably a good time to get, uh, get some property out in the middle of nowhere. Yep. Without a doubt. Well, um, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you if you had a, a good uh, hunting story you wanted to share with us. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, other than spending two days diarrheaing on a, a mountaintop recently, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a fun one. But yeah, one I got to talk about in the book, and this is just kind of a, a fun little story, is the first archery bear I ever got. Uh, my wife and I had just had our firstborn and she was two weeks old. We had just brought her back up to the cabin. So it was early May. It was bear season. I had my compound bow kind of hanging by the bed. We had the baby in the crib and uh, middle of the night, my wife kind of rocked me awake. She goes, Zach, Zach, I think there's something outside. And, you know, I kind of look outside and I saw a big something, you know, it was kind of, it was like a half moon enough to see an animal. I'm like, I don't know if that's a deer or bear or what so went back to bed woke up the next day went outside and i noticed there was just some white stuff all kind of along and we our back door opens to three thousand acres of national forest land we're super lucky and i'm nice it didn't snow i'm like what is that white stuff so didn't think much of it went downstairs and i noticed there was a, a muddy paw print on the door going to our downstairs i'm like that looks like a bear and then I kind of look over and I see more of the white stuff and I walk over and investigate and it was a diaper. So this bear has somehow gotten into a, a allegedly bear proof container to get trash out and had strewn 
our brand new newborn's diapers everywhere. I was like, oh, great. So I spent the morning cleaning that up and I was like, all right, I'm going to go try to track down this bear and see if I can't put an arrow in it. Did that, no success. But same thing, went to bed. Next morning, first light, my wife wakes me up and she's like, Zach, Zach, I hear something again. I'm like, really? And I look out the window and it's first light. And sure enough, there's this beautiful cinnamon phase bear 35 yards out our back door. And I was like, well, guess this is as good a time as any. It beats hiking eight miles into the backcountry. And, you know, grab my bow and I'm in my underwear and my wife grabs the baby so she doesn't cry and you know, step on the back porch and draw back and whack the bear at 35 yards. And that was it. So, I mean, it's a, it's a short story, but, you know, there was more <laughs> to it trying to find the bear, which was a, a little bit more challenging. But overall, it was it was a great first bear and got me hooked on bear hunting. But my daughter's diapers kind of helped seal the deal, I guess. When you said there was white stuff like all over the back, my head went immediately to cocaine bear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that would have been a little more terrifying. <laughs> oh shit! Anyway, I never saw the movie, but uh, I, you know, I, watched I, the I saw some trailers. Minutes. Yeah, I watched the first five minutes on a plane recently, and I think you're you're not you're not missing. I'm out not missing much. much. <laughs> Yeah, I think probably what you have in your head based on the title and the real story is probably better than what you're going to get in the first, <laughs> in the movie at least. Okay. Oh, Jesus. Anyway. Well, man, uh, I want to thank you for coming on and uh, spending some time with us. And uh, yeah, guys, out, get out there, grab Zach's book, Turning Feral. I can't tell you it was good because I haven't read it yet, but I think it is. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, the good news is I'm going to just do an audio version now, and then yes. uh, then you can you can come back and retract your statement later if it sucks. Yeah, I will. I I would guarantee you, you make a uh, of audio version of it. I'm going to listen to it. Perfect. So awesome, buddy. So uh, if you got any uh, places you want to send people to, now's the time to do it. And. Uh, where can you know where can the listeners find out more about you and the book yeah easiest place obviously amazon turning feral i've got a few other books out there people are interested in i am new to instagram but my handle is at let me die learning same with substack and, and facebook and all the other social media stuff that i promised i'd never use but here i am so mm-hmm. um you know make sure you call me a uh, a coward for falling back on my word but you know it's a pretty good way to get to meet people and folks it's a necessary it's a necessary evil i hate it yeah i hate it but i'll you know i'll be i'm obviously a hypocrite because i'm on it so yeah yeah i'm i'm part of the hypocrite crowd so um, i'm with you there but yeah that's where people can check stuff out awesome man thank you we'll talk to you soon talk soon hey guys thanks for checking out the show really appreciate you keep those reviews and those comments coming helps us keep this free do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word, and check out How for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.